Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. The scripture reading this morning will be taken from the book of Psalms, the 91st Psalm. Give careful attention to what the psalmist has to say as he speaks about the capability of his God. And he is saying, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, who abides under the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I'll trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flash the day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the most high your habitation, no evil will befall you. No scourge come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge of you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he cleaves to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Lord, help us to believe it. The thing about it is, we heap words upon words sometime and good faith. And, and then after we think about what we've said, we know that after we've said what was said, it's not bad. But yet we have not yet come to the place where we've really said what we wanted to say. Now, dear ones, I may be in that position this morning, so I'm going to ask you to pray for me and for yourself as we think together. There's something here that you and I would be better off if we understood. And it'd be, we'd be better off if... Well, let me put it to you this way. Not too long ago, too many days ago, I was with a man that's retired. And he's a man that lives by himself. Uh, I don't think he can find a woman to live with, to tell you the God's honest truth about the situation. But anyway, he lives alone. He's quite a fella, a character, and it has a wonderful sense of humor that we're going to be talking about. And I happened to be in a furniture store with him. He went and bought one of these big, beautiful reclining chairs. You know those things. Man, they cost a fortune. And uh, he looked at me and says, it's one of these kinds you know that, that uh, strokes you and caresses you and jiggles you and joggles you and burps you. And, and then when you want to get up, all you have to do is press a button and it helps you get up. You know, He said to me, he said, well, he said, you know this will help me to grow old, uh, more comfortable. 
And he says it helped me to grow older more graciously and gracefully. And I thought, well, that's a possibility. That's so. But you know, the thing that he was talking about in relation to that chair, of course, some joke in relation to it. But this is what I'm talking about this morning. What you and I are thinking about is no joke to it at all. And that is a sense of humor. Dear one, it's the most beautiful thing. And I want to say to you this morning, if you have a friend that has a sense of humor, I have found these people to be worth more than gold to me. Uh, they are very precious. And you better hold on to them. And you better do what you need to to hold on to them. Because you know, it's one thing about it. If you've got a friend that's got a good sense of humor, there's no way in the world you can be around them and feel sorry for yourself. You just can't do it. They just won't let you do it, you know. I was in a funeral home not too long ago. An old uncle of mine had passed away. And while I was there in the funeral home by myself, and the family was off somewhere else, and I got feeling sorry for myself. And I got in a pitiful condition, to tell you the God's honest truth. And as I was sitting there feeling miserable for myself, just, just terrible, and I wasn't feeling bad for my old uncle, but I was feeling bad for myself because I realized that going to this uncle, that was the last of the old uncles. And all of a sudden in that funeral home, I realized that I was the old uncle from now on. You know, that generation is gone. And so when these uh, youngsters look at me and the family, they call me the old uncle now. And so I was feeling terrible. I just feeling awful. And then here came one of my cousins in. That's part of the immediate family. The uncle passed away. And she looked like she had been put through a, one of those old-time clothes ringers. You know, she just looked terrible. And I said, cousin, what in the world happened to you? And she said, well, she says, on the way over here, she says, it's taking me about two hours to get here. Only, she only lived about two miles away. But she says, it's taking me about two hours to get here. She says, coming down South Park Road out here, she says, I ran off the road and turned the car upside down. Just flipped right upside down. She says, I was hanging in that thing upside down. I finally got the seatbelt off and got myself squared away in there. And by that time, I could hear people outside talking. She says, I kicked the window out of the door, and I started backing out, getting out of that thing. She says, I got about halfway out. She says, I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, what an awful sight that must be to those people out there. <laughs> so, she says, I crawled back in the car and said, some man was standing out there. and said, lady, my God, come on out of that car before catches on fire. Don't worry about what you look like. <laughs> she says, I, I just couldn't do it. She says, I crawled back in the car, turned around and crawled out like a lady and said, uh, he got mad at me. Said he couldn't understand that, but he was kind enough to bring me on to the funeral home. Now, you know, that struck me as funny. Now, if you were in a funeral home, you would have thought it was really funny if you'd heard it and looked at her. And I, I thought that's the funniest thing I ever heard. At that time, I'd been in a funeral home, and I had to get up and leave. And I know some of the family may have gotten mad at me. I was sitting there laughing like an idiot. But the thing about it is that, you know, it's, I do not need anyone to confirm me in my self-pity. I don't need that. Don't need it at all. You don't need it. None of us need that. Because, you see, when it comes to the place of where we have these days and these moments of where things become tight for us and we get down, is one thing we do not need is someone then to encourage us or to confirm us in our self-pity. Now we need to come to a place where we can have a type of life that causes us to laugh with other people. Now you notice I said to laugh with other people. Now that's the kind of friend to have. I was standing with a man here back in the middle of the winter 
at a parking lot. And this lady tried to turn around with the snow was on the ground and she backed up just enough for her wheels to drop off, off of the asphalt, off of the parking lot. I guess they dropped down about two or three inches. Well, she was all bundled up in that car and she would get that car going backwards and only go back about three feet and she'd get it going forward and, and then would hit that asphalt. Well, it would stop immediately and she'd go forward. And she had a little cap and the cap would come down over her face just like this. And she would stop everything and get it back up and go through that maneuver again. Well, I was standing there with this friend, and we got to laughing at this situation. And it just looked funny to me, and to he was too. And, and she just stopped that car after about four or five trials and came over and she says, are you fellas laughing at me? <laughs> and she said it in a very forceful way. And, and I began to stutter. And this guy says, no, ma'am, lady. <laughs> says, we're not laughing at you. He says, we're laughing with you. And if you'll let me have your keys, he says, I'll get that car out for you. Well, if it had been me, the way I stuttered around, if he hadn't been there, she'd have whipped me, I'm sure. <laughs> I envy these people who, who can think immediately what to say. You know, it takes me about an hour to think what I should have said an hour ago, and then it's too late to, to do it. You get your head peeled that way. But the thing about it is that a sense of humor that can help you to see things in the right perspective. The lady called me that uh, had a friend that lost her husband. And she says, you got to go see this lady. She's not a member of the church. She's just a lady's friend. I said, you need to go see her. I said, she's in a bad way. I said, have you been to see her? She said, yes, I have. She says, but I can't have helped her. She says, every time I go over there, she says, we, we just cry and we cry and we cry. And she doesn't need to hear anybody cry with her. She needs someone to talk to her. And she says, I can't talk to her without crying. I said, I, I can go cry with her. And so I went over to see this lady. And after a year or so, she got squared away. And, and as the custom of in our society and as it should be she fell madly in love again and got married and she moved into a beautiful home a beautiful home and so she had an open house of course I was invited to it along with this friend that cried with her so so we went to this open house and in the midst of this uh, this friend said to me said you know I think she's just trying to show off <laughs> well you know I discovered the truth I knew it but it confirmed right there you know one of the things dear ones it is easier for us to cry with people than it is for us to rejoice with people. Do you find that true in your life? You know, if I would tell you the truth about the pit of my soul, I find something there within my soul is sort of like that too. It's sort of like we, we can cry with people, but can you really rejoice with people who have a home more pretentious than yours that God has blessed in such a way? Can you really rejoice with a person who has made it within a company or has their company? Uh, can you really rejoice with someone that has a great and high prestigious position? Can you rejoice with a person that God has blessed in such a way that they seem they have everything that uh, of the things that this world, the better things of this world, and you don't have? Well, if you can, blessings on you, dear one. And we all ought to be that way. It's, it's easier... You see, it's easier for us to cry with someone sometimes than it is for us to rejoice with them and the greatness of their hour that is upon them. I do not want someone only to cry with me. That's necessary too. But I want someone to rejoice with me. When I have something good, I want to be able to share it. And I would hope that my friends wouldn't think that I'm trying to show off. Something rejoice about 
I would hope that as we have opportunity to live and to work together, that we would not only share our sorrows and our hurt, but we would be able to share our greatest joys one with the other. And it would be a thing of the soul, and we would be glad one for the other, because the good Lord has blessed us in such a wonderful way. A sense of humor that will cause us, yes, to cry, and also cause us to laugh with other people. A sense of humor that causes us to laugh itself. The greatest problem with most of us is that we see ourselves in a very serious light. In fact, we take ourselves, for the most part, much too serious. This place is not going to run unless I'm around. Well, don't you ever believe that? You know, I learned that a long time ago. I was sort of like your first preacher here, Brother Bill. I stayed to my first church. I stayed eight years. And I was just sure that that church wouldn't run without me. Was I ever surprised when the bishop moved me that that church just went right ahead? <laughs> you know, it didn't close. It didn't close. It, I was amazed. I was just amazed that it just went ahead. A friend of mine not too long ago worked at this company, a small company, worked out for 30 years. And he had a key to every door in that building. He ran just about everything. And, you know, he thought, uh, he, in fact, he said, that place can't run without me. And, you know, one day the boss called him in, the man that owned the plant, and said, uh, we're going to retire you. And he was retired, and they did retire. And you know this guy, he couldn't believe it. It took him about three weeks before he could believe that he had been retired by this company. And the company went right on without a hitch. You know, dear ones, one of these days you're going to be called from this world. And I don't care who you are and what place you might have in it. And you're going to find that, just as the good Lord said, that they're going to be buying and selling that day. And the old mill's going to grind on without you, and it's not even going to miss a cog in this machine. And, you know, it won't even burp. It'll just keep on going. If we're not careful, we come to a place where we want to play God. We want to play God. We need a sense of humor in relation to our position within this world and our relationship to this world. I was told by a young man that he went to, to visit at the funeral home to see the wife of his friend that passed away. And they were close friends. They worked together. And this guy's always saying, he says, you know, I always say the wrong thing. He says, I went in and tried to comfort her, and I said to her what I thought would be appropriate. And I said, I'm sorry to hear that, sorry this has happened and that the bill has, has been called out. And he said, you know, I thought for that amendment, she, he said, should I, that doesn't sound right. Does it mean that I am sorry that uh, my friend's in heaven? He said, I shouldn't say that. And this all went through his mind real quickly, you know. And he said, well, he said, you know, he was sort of a rounder, meaning to that, that he lived the full life. And he thought for that a while, and he said, now that doesn't sound right. And I've got to say something else to her. And he said, well, he said, he was somewhat of a character. And he says, now that doesn't make sense. He says, the last thing I said to her, it was in the wintertime. He says, well, at least he's warm. <laughs> he says, preacher, he says, have you ever had the problem with just whatever you said was the wrong thing? He said, that's exactly the way I felt. Well, most of us know what that means. I went to see a senior lady one time. How could I ever forget this lady? She was a very wonderful inspiration to me. And she must have been 80 years of age when... I first knew her, and I was privileged to be her preacher for quite a while. But anyway, the doctors told her that she had to have one of her eyes removed for the sake of her health. If it didn't, it would, uh, in all probability, take her life. 
And so I went to see her before she went to the hospital to comfort her. And I went in and talked to Miss Grace and made some kind of a comment in relation to the loss of her eye. And she says, well, now, the preacher said, I want to tell you something. She says, a lady at my age, she says, I can see enough with one eye. <laughs> she says, um, says, I don't need this other eye at all. I can spare it. She says, it's not going to affect my life at all. And she had a devilish twinkle in that good eye, so I kind of believed her. But I thought to myself, after I left from that, I went to comfort her and found out that she in reality had comforted me. What a marvelous way to be able to look at life. Now, dear ones, let me say to you what I want to say for the next few minutes in this fashion. How can a person laugh at life? That's the question. Do we have to have a sense of humor? Does that mean that we look at this world through rose-colored glasses? Is that what I'm trying to talk about this morning? No, that's not what I'm talking about. There is a laughter born of a fool. There is a laughter that is born of a fool. And any night of the week, you can go and hear this type of laughter at any bar within our city. People who have dulled their senses and put their brain to sleep through the alcohol or something else similar to it. I was a very young person when I began to realize that if this is all that a person has to laugh at in, or over or from in this life, uh, then he is destitute and poverty-stricken to be sure. There's got to be something more death to life than going and taking pills to put you to sleep, pills to calm you down, pills to pep you up, and a pill for everything. Now, dear ones, I'm not talking about proper medication. If it's in due course of a person's life, it is necessary and should be. But you know exactly what I'm talking about. Somehow, some way, we have to deaden ourselves against this world for us to be able to live and to be the person that we ought to be. I've heard people say about people who do have a sense of humor, can they be for real? Well, dear ones, I want to tell you they are for real if they come from the point and the place that I'm talking about at this moment. If they come from this place, only way that a man can laugh is to put his mind out of order. There's not much to laugh about, dear ones. And that's not going to carry you through, and that's not what I'm talking about. But there is another kind of laughter that is born of a devout faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our devout faith in God. That's what the psalmist was talking about. That's the reason why he could face life the way that he was facing life and say the things that he was saying. Because he knew God. And he knew God would take care of him. That God would deliver him. That God was his refuge. That God was the one that looked after him completely and totally. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, who abides in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in him I'll trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, and so on and so on. Now the person that has his soul anchored in this place is the person that can live in this world and yet not be affected by this world in such a way that he loses his desire and his hope to live. Now, if a psalmist could say that so many years ago, what about you and I today as we think about the Lord Jesus Christ? Only a man 
can really laugh at this world that knows that he has a living Savior. Dear ones, do you believe that at this very moment that you're in the hand of a living God? Do you believe the Lord Jesus Christ is conscious of you at this, this moment? Do you believe that you have a Savior that neither slumbers or sleeps? Are you conscious of the fact that there is that Spirit of God in the world today that knows exactly where you are, that's in tune with you at this very moment, whether you sense it or not? It doesn't depend upon whether you sense it or not. It's not a matter of feeling. Oh, when feeling is with it, it's wonderful, but it doesn't have to be, you know. I think about, uh, you read this story in the book of Kings, Second Kings, the sixth chapter. The story of Elisha. Let me call it to your attention again. I think I did not too long ago, but it's such a beautiful story. And illustrates so perfectly what I'm trying to say. You remember, the Syrians were trying to take God's people. And every time they'd go out to battle, it seems that the Jewish people, the God's people, knew exactly what the battle plan was. And so as a result of it, they would be able to elude the Syrians or to beat them in battle. And so the Syrian king called in all these captains and the host of his army. He said, what one of you characters are in here that is a traitor? Which one of you is telling the Jewish people, the Israelites, about my plans? And some captain spoke up and said, no one. He said, there's a man by the name of Elisha. And he can tell you what you're talking about in your bedchamber. The king says, well, we'll go out and take him. We know what town he's in. Go and take the town. So the Syrian army, the king said, all of his total army to get this one man. And so they surrounded the city. Now you remember that story next morning when the servant of Elisha woke up and went outside and looked out and he saw this great Syrian army encircling the city. He ran back in and told Elisha, Elisha, we have had it now. They have surrounded us. We can't get out. And you remember Elisha came out and he prayed. Lord, open the eyes of this young man that he might be able to see. The forces that are for us are greater than those that are against us. And when he finished praying, the scripture says the young man looked out and saw the host of heaven. The host of heaven, the mighty army of God, as it encircled the Syrian army. Well, God didn't have to call them into battle. Is all he had to do was just cause the Syrian army not be able to see properly. And you know the rest of that story. You come over now in the book of John, the same thing is almost said in a different way. Whether or not God is conscious of you right where you are. You remember the story of Nathaniel when Jesus met him. One of the disciples went and told Nathaniel, said, look, we've met the Messiah. He's here. And so Nathaniel didn't believe it. He says, could such a great person come from such a bad background? In effect, that's what he said. And when Nathaniel was walking toward Jesus and Jesus saw him, he said, Behold, an Israelite in which there's no guile. And this amazed Nathaniel. And he says, How did you know such a thing? He says, But while you were still under the fig tree, I saw you. And it was there that Nathaniel said, and confirmed the fact that this was the Messiah. Well, now, dear friends, I want to tell you something that's precisely where Jesus has you at this very moment. Not to make you uncomfortable but to put you at ease, to put you at ease. Now, I think about the three Hebrew children, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Oh, I love that story. And it bears to be repeated again and again and again because of, of what it says about the knowledge of God. Now, you know they were stupid. 
Those three young men, they were either stupid or they're the smart one. They knew something that the most of those people didn't know. Or it was a stupid statement for them to stand before that king and tell him right to his face, we're not going to bow down to that God of yours. Not that gold brass thing that you have concocted. We're not going to bow down to it, to you or to it. And so he says, now you go down and heat the furnace up seven times hotter than it's ever been. And we're going to give you guys one more chance. And if you don't do it, what I tell you to do is that you're going to be thrown right into that furnace. And then old Meshach spoke up. I guess it was Meshach. I don't know. He spoke up and said, well, I want you to know some king. The God that we serve can deliver us. He has a mind to, but if he doesn't have a mind to, we want you to know that we're not going to bow down to your God. And it says the old king flew into such a rage that he had them bound and thrown into the fiery furnace. Now, as either a stupid thing to say, or they knew something. Now, dear ones, if they knew that they had a God that could deliver them and did deliver them, what about you and what about me? We have our Savior. Done, finished, came. Committed the Holy Spirit to be with us, a witness with these spirits of ours. I say again, the only man that can really laugh at today, unless he be a fool, is a man that knows that he has a risen Savior. The only man that can truly laugh at this world, unless he be a fool, is the person that has made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, preacher. That's pretty good preaching. That's right. Dear ones, here's where we are. Let me say to you in closing. You who are committed to Christ, wake to the wonderful reality that you have of a personal Savior daily. You, if there be one here this morning that's not committed to Christ, dear ones, take this as an opportunity to commit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not yet committed yourself to Christ, and at this moment you don't know whether or not you belong to him and to his kingdom, don't let this beautiful hour pass you. Then I would say come to the softer, or in the quietness of the pew where you are. Reaffirm your faith, or affirm your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Commit yourself to Him. Dedicate yourself to Him. Surrender yourself to Him. Use any terminology you want to. But face up to the realities that there is a living Christ, and you can belong to Him by saying, I want to, and I surrender myself to Him. Do it. And then, dear one, regardless of what comes and what goes, you will be sure of the fact that there's a Lord that's in charge of you completely and totally. And as the Apostle Paul said so many, many years ago, I know and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And I want to tell you that type of a sense of humor that's born of such understanding and such knowledge will certainly make you a beautiful person, or at least it won't hurt you. Our Father God in heaven, help us this morning that we might see more perfectly than ever before who we are and what we are and who we belong to, for we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen.
Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of His words, finishing the work He started in making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven.